Right. It's a new year for us. Who's made resolutions? Anyone made any resolutions? Have you kept them all? It's funny, we, we could make a resolution at any time that we like, couldn't we really? But there's something about the start of the year and things like that that help us to maybe sort of time ourselves. I mean, anyway, most revolu- resolutions are gone by about the end of January. Would you turn with me to Matthew 15, please? What are your expectations for this coming year? Have you got any plans that you want to see fulfilled? Thank you. Have you got any ideas that this year you want to do something? that you've never done before. That's good to have these things. Maybe you're just open to see what God will do. But it's good to have something in your mind. And I'm going to make a couple of suggestions via two women in the Bible that I want to look at and their attitude to what's coming up. Let's read from Matthew 15, verse 21, one of my favourite women. In the Bible, I'll put that bit in. And <laughs> the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus went away from there. He was in Galilee. He'd been ministering, and the reason he went away is because John the Baptist had been arrested and thrown in prison, and Herod had had him executed. <coughs> Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon, which is right at the top of Israel. Yeah, it's in Lebanon now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, I've been there as well. It's it. Um, so Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the pretty district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman, who would be Lebanese now, from that region came out <coughs> and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, A woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So I want to make a couple of suggestions about how we approach the coming year. How our attitude is, because that's a very important thing. Here's this Syrophoenician woman. Phoenicia is just up that, that area. So she comes and she cries out, have mercy on me, Lord. This woman, if she stopped and thought, there are a number of reasons why she wouldn't be blessed. Why she wouldn't be blessed. And I want to look at those. The first thing against her being blessed and getting what she wanted out of life, as it were, and the same thing goes for you, 
The first thing against her was that she was a woman. And she can't help being a woman, but she is a woman. And women occupy a very lowly place in society in Israel. They're not the movers and shakers. They don't get things done because they don't have the room to do that. It's a bit like what's happening in Afghanistan now. But they had some influence, and that influence came through the home. They could have power at home and power to adapt people's lives, the children's lives, teach them. You know, it's a, there's good reasons why the Jewish community hold up the Jewish mother as uh, something to be admired or feared, whatever you like. You heard about the Jewish mother who came home and gave her, her son. She said, I just bought you a shirt. I bought you two shirts, a green one and a blue one. So he said, thank you very much. He went upstairs. He came down wearing the blue one. And she said, so what's the matter with the green one? <laughs> That's Jewish humour for you. <laughs> or the lady, or the man, no, no, the lady in a, in a meeting of some sort. Suddenly she stood up and said, is there a doctor in the house? And they all looked around and they panicked and someone said, yes. She said, have I got a girl for you? <laughs> so the, the Jewish mother was, is renowned. It's because home was the place she could have influence. And no other place. So this woman, although she wasn't Jewish, she came into the situation, it went against her that she was a woman. The same thing is this, that she's not allowed to address a rabbi. Women didn't take the initiative and go and speak to a rabbi. They didn't do that because you weren't allowed to do that. It broke protocol. You see, women at this time were not thought to have a soul by many people. There's still some people that believe that, that they think they haven't got a soul and certainly didn't have any spiritual understanding. Now, when you've grasped that, you, you realise just how radical Jesus was. You remember back in John 4, Jesus has to go through Samaria. He chooses to go through an area called Samaria, full of the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are not people sitting on a telephone. Um, the Samaritans were a group of people that came up of mixed race. They were people that when the uh, Jews were taken out of Israel, the... the commanding power left there just the what they regarded as the dregs of society so they left some Jews there and these Jews intermarried with the new people that were put in by the conquerors that's what they used to do mix them up and so they intermarried and so when the Jews came back to Israel and they wanted to build a temple they started to build a temple the Samaritans as they were called because that area was called Samaria Samaritans said let us help you we want to be part of it. And the Jews said, no, because you've intermarried. And so a rivalry grew up and the Samaritans built a rival temple. Um, and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans was pretty terrible. And that went on for, for generations. So when Jesus came to Samaria and sat down on the side of this well... And a woman came and she talked to him and he talked to her. That's revolutionary. And Jesus actually taught her spiritual truths. He taught her things 
that he hadn't yet taught his own disciples. He taught about the spirit. He taught about the fact that the, the temple, well, at that stage everyone thought was the be-all and end-all of everything, that's going to be gone because God wants us to worship him in spirit, not in uh, these other areas. So you see just how radical Jesus was. So she's a woman. She's not allowed to address a, a, a rabbi. The third thing is she's a Gentile. She comes from that area there. She's outside of Israel. You know, the phrase shaking the dust off your feet came from the fact when the Jews went through this area, they took a shortcut through Samaria. When they got to the end of their journey back into Israel, they took their shoes off and they cleaned them. They didn't even want the dust of Samaria on their feet. The Gentiles were called unclean. They were called dogs. This area of Tyre is the Gentile area. By addressing a Jew, the Jew would become unclean. So you wonder why these, when it talks about uh, there's a man lying in the gutter, you know the story that Jesus told, there's a man lying in the gutter and the people walk round him. They don't want to get too close because if they get close to him and he's a Gentile or something like that, they become unclean. So here's this woman calling out to Jesus and calling out to the disciples and they're saying, get rid of her, she's driving us mad. She's just driving us mad. Now, these are reasons why she shouldn't be blessed in the coming year, that she could stand up, stand up and say, these are the things. But here's the biggest one. We've had these other things, but the biggest one is that Jesus turned her down. Jesus turned her down. It couldn't get bigger than that, could it? She wants to be blessed. If you want to be blessed, you may say, well, I'm not a Gentile because I'm a child of God. Um, there's all these other things. But if Jesus turns you down, that's the end of it, isn't it? You can't get more final than that. But yet she gets what she wants. She gets what she wants. Just look at the story again. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter's cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. It's a bit rude, isn't it? He didn't say anything. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my mission here to lead Israel back into truth. There'll be a time for the Gentiles, but the truth is, <coughs> that's what I've done. And she comes and implores him again, and he says, look, it's not good to give the children's food to the dogs. Well, that's pretty insulting, isn't it? But the interesting thing here is that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs, and it meant wild animals. But Jesus didn't use that phrase. He said the dogs, but he used the, the phrase that was used for a tame dog that you'd have as a pet. There's a difference in the way that he says these things. Not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. 
What made God change his mind? Here's a nice theological conundrum for you. What made God change his mind? If she'd have said, all right, okay, I accept that, and gone away, she would never have got what she wanted. But something made Jesus, God himself, change his mind. So when you're praying and you're thinking of things, don't let anyone, anyone say to you, look, sorry, this is, this is the will of God, that's all there is to it. Can God change his mind? Well, he did here. Theologians have scratched their head and say, look, how can we say that? Because we have to rely on what God says. He never changes his mind. He's made his mind up. He's set it firmly. But here, God changed his mind. Was there a twinkle in his eye as he spoke to, to her? We only have the written words. We don't know what tone he used. But he saw something in this woman that changed the situation. Now, I happen to think that part of this was Jesus waiting to hear from the Father and his comments. But he saw something in this woman. And what was it he saw? It was faith. And it was militant faith. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. We know we've got the stripes all over the place. That's what I'm saying. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. You could say that that was her prayer. She could have said to Jesus, this is what I want. When do I want it? Now. Jesus said, you got it. You got it. Because you have a faith that unlocks doors in heaven, if you like. God loves faith above all. I've said this so many times. It's good to be correct. It's good to have your doctrine right. It's good to have all these things absolutely right. But don't think by that alone you'll receive from God. Faith is the key that activates all those things. So you can have a denomination that will not allow you to do certain things. We don't have them over here. In the States you've got more of them. But where they're absolutely rigid on things. But I want to tell you that faith overrides those things. Now people say, that's dangerous, you can't do that. I know what I'm saying, I know it's dangerous. But God loves faith above all. God changed his mind here. Why? Because of faith. I doubt that she had any theological understanding of what he was about and talking about. I doubt that she knew the protocol, which is the correct way of addressing God. Get your prayer right. I doubt that she cared about the disciples putting her off, frankly. She had the love of a mother, desperate to see her daughter well, and that was her motivation. She'd seen Jesus heal and deliver people. And she said, this, here's a man that can do it. I know I'm not supposed to talk to the Jews. I know I've got my own religion, but I see something in this man that I want for my daughter. And she put everything aside and came. She had an unquenchable uh, resolved to get to the one she knew could help. 
She muscled her way through, elbowed her way through. You ever seen a woman like that? I know a woman. She was part of, uh, her and her husband ran missions in, in India, had a big team, had lorries out there and would go and hold crusades and things. And they would often get riots at their crusades from the Hindus and such like. So they'd leave the country for a while and then come back. She was a little, she was really a hillbilly, American hillbilly. And she was a little woman that would take on her plane spare parts for the vans and the vehicles. And they'd say, you can't take that, man. And she'd say, yes. No, you can't come through with that with the man. And she'd say, yes, you're right. And she'd carry on walking. And she was a little woman, and one day she was due on a flight to uh, UK, and she didn't turn up. So I phoned up British Airways and said, I know that you probably can't tell me this because you won't be allowed to, but I'm looking for someone who's, this is the name, who should have been on that flight, but apparently wasn't. And they said, well, you're right, we can't tell you. So I said, if I said to you, I said, did you see the people who got off? <coughs> she said, yes. And I said, if I said to you, she's a little woman that will be carrying loads of parcels, all the sort of thing that you shouldn't allow, and she's, she'll be walking off. And she went quiet. She said, well, yes, there was a lady like that. <laughs> so we, we tracked her down. It's the sort of faith that should be rising up in your heart for this coming year. If you want something from God, when do you want it? Now. Or in the year, Lord, I don't mind. But what do we want? When do we want it? There's that sort of faith, unquenchable, unconquerable faith. And she got what she wanted. <coughs> I love this story. I think it's such a great story. If there's faith in your heart and God has put those things there, let it not be quenched by anything. Go forward into this coming year with that attitude and I'll tell you what, you'll get what you, you want from God. You'll get what you want. And while people, are, theologians are arguing about why you shouldn't or should or shouldn't have these things, God will do something. That I've seen time and time again. This person should not have this sort of ministry or life or anything... They shouldn't have because they're not absolutely kosher. They're not right with everything. And while they're arguing there, God does it. Because God loves faith above everything. I think we'll, we'll go on. Let's have a look. Let's go on to John chapter 12. I said two women. Every, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> Everything is possible with faith. Everything is possible. I didn't say it, Jesus did. All things are possible. Only believe. What? That's a bit too simple, isn't it? Too simplistic. Is it? Well, you better talk, tell Jesus that. You got that wrong. John chapter 12, verse 1. Can't find it. Here's another woman, Mary, we're talking about. 
Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, so we can date it, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. As he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you all re- always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me with you. <coughs> the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. There's a big crowd here that turned up. This is an interesting thing. Jesus said to the disciples, good news and bad news, lads. Oh, what's that? Good news, we've been invited to dinner. The bad news, it's at the house of a leper. This is just after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. An incredible miracle. I love the story of Lazarus being raised. You know, Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes comes out with the grave clothes that have to be taken off him. You realise that if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus, all the graves would have opened. (laughs) But Lazarus comes forth. And out he comes. Now, he can't walk. He's bound up with things. How do you think he came out? I imagine it like a bullet out of a gun. <laughs> because you, you can stagger out, can you really? Jesus said, Well, you better untie him. So they untied him and loosed him. But Lazarus had been delivered from death, and here he comes uh, like a rocket flying out of the thing in my mind. And there were two reactions to this. It says that many people believed. Many people believed. And when there's a miracle, when something happens, someone's healed, someone's touched, something happens, situation, there are many people who will believe. And they'll, they'll take face value and accept that. But the second is that those who are set on unbelief will have their hearts, hearts hardened. See, some people won't believe regardless of what goes on. They won't believe because they've set their mind to say, I will not believe. They say, I'm... They're always the ones that say, I'm open-minded. No, they're not. They're far from it. They've made up their mind exactly what's going to happen. And they're not going to believe that it happened that way. When you're dealing with those sort of people, I, I sometimes think that you're wasting your time talking to them. Better to say, look, oh, all right, well, if that's the way you feel, that's fine. I'll pray that you see it differently. Because... 
This is the situation with Pharaoh. When it, the Bible talks about Pharaoh having his heart hardened, people say, well, that's a bit hard of God, isn't it, to do that, hardening someone's heart. It's only because Pharaoh had already set his heart to be hardened and that it allowed the situation. Does that mean that God can't change that? Oh, yes, he can change it. But here's the situation. Jesus and the family are invited and the disciples in the house of a leper. And the first thing I'd like to say about this woman is that it was an act of gratitude. Now, you've got a year coming up, a new year coming. Let's have an act of gratitude in our heart towards God. He's brought us through all kinds of things. We've had a pandemic. We're here. We're alive. We've been through all kinds of things. There's threats now of wars and various things. For some of you, this is all rather new, Mr. Putin suggesting that he might use nuclear weapons. For some of us who are older, we've lived through this already. We've had the crisis where we were told, you know, any minute the Russians might fire off rockets at us or we might fire at them and various things. And there have been some scenarios where it came really close to that happening. So we've lived through it once, and I, I think we'll live through it again. Why? Because I don't think God has any intention of leaving the fate of the world in the hands of men. That's very important. But it's a supper, and it's a sort of love feast. They're saying, thank you, Jesus, for bringing, giving us back our, our brother. And it's held at the, the home of Simon the leper. You can find that in Matthew 26, if you wonder where I get that from. The reason Martha is mentioned as serving is because Simon's not married. Well, he's been a leper. There's not much chance of that for him. Just to clear up two things, there are two acts that are very similar in the Gospels. One is of this act that Mary is doing here, and there's another where a woman who is called a prostitute comes in and does the same thing. And people have said, well, that means Mary's a prostitute. No, no, no. The two things are mixed up. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, for those that are interested, you'll find the other event that took place. It was a prostitute. And Luke mentions this situation, but he doesn't introduce Mary into his narrative until a few chapters later. And he would know the difference between the two. So th there's two things. Maybe Martha had seen this and it rubbed off on her. I don't know. But anyway... This is what happens. So it's an act of gratitude that's going on. The second thing about this woman, Mary, is it's an act of love. I find it a very, very moving scene. If you can imagine it, it's against all custom. Mary comes in, there's the men sitting around. The, the men used to sit on like chaise longue and with their feet up and the ladies would come and serve. Um, and, uh, you know, the men would would discuss important things and leave the ladies to do their important things out in the kitchen. That's the way it should be, isn't it? Um, but against all custom, Mary comes in and she enters the circle of men. She breaks the seal on this jar. I like to think that she poured some out on his head and it ran down, but I don't know. But it certainly got to the feet. And it flows to the feet. And against all custom, she looses the tresses from her hair, which is shocking. It's rather shocking. 
And when she does that, she wipes his feet with her hair. I find this incredibly moving. It's a real act of love on her part. Did she love Jesus? Yes, she loved Jesus. Did she love Jesus the way that anyone else might love a person? Yes. She was, she was attached to him, devoted to him. In fact, that's the next thing I would say, that we've had a, an act of gratitude, an act of love, and it's an act of devotion. She was devoted to Jesus, devoted enough to let convention go, prepared to endure ridicule and opposition. She got it there and then. She didn't have to wait long. It's Judas Iscariot. Why wasn't this sold? And the money put it in my pocket. Why didn't that happen? She got opposition there and then. And Jesus says, look, this is for my burial. You may not know it, but she's doing something prophetic here. She may keep it for the day of my burial. <coughs> for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. But we can see something here. Now, if you were a movie maker, you'd take this tender moment and you'd change it. There'd be romantic music flowing, there'd be sexual undertones, all kinds of things would go. But it is a, a really moving moment and something that's recorded for us in history. So we see that there can be a purity in our act of gratitude and our act of love and devotion to Jesus who laid down his life for us when we were still sinners. Isn't that enough to make us open our hearts? Some people are very closed-hearted, and I understand that. I had to learn to open myself up to things, which I didn't do originally, because I saw that God was very open-hearted towards me and wore his heart on his sleeve towards me. And I thought, why am I protecting myself and keeping myself as a good Englishman, stiff upper lip? Like a penguin. You could hug me and I'd be like a ball. But God comes and says, I loved you. And that breaks down our resistance, doesn't it? That's what's happened. Perhaps this coming year is the time for you to renew these things in your life. Faith that is unquenchable unconquerable that says when do I want it I want it Lord now there's a place for that God loves that and a place for you letting your heart go to God and say Lord you died for me and I know that you died for me and in that I can see that you care about me and if you care about me it's true what the Bible says that God is love and in this coming year I'm resolving to open my heart's heart to more of that, to allow God to work. True love is expressed in sacrificial devotion, whatever that means for you. You know, the Apostle Paul said he wanted to know Jesus. We're going to Philippians now. We're not going to look at it. He said, I want to know you, Jesus. And I want to know you in two ways. In the power of your resurrection... That means what's happening now in me as well as out there. You know, I, I preach in various churches. And uh, one church, I know that I could go to and, and talk about 
the power of resurrection and they they'd say down the line this yes this is good this is right but what i'd want to know is how they apply that to their lives because you can have it right but no that doesn't affect your life and i think with this particular church we're getting somewhere where i was able to say look these truths are great truths but how does the power of his resurrection change you affect you in your life as well as the glorious truth that it is with all the power and honor and everything how does it affect you how does it break down your heart being willing to do things so paul said i want to know you jesus in the power of your resurrection that's, that's tremendous power and in the fellowship of your suffering he's not saying we have to suffer for our salvation he did all the suffering that's necessary but having done that suffering to make it necessary for mankind mankind then makes it difficult for us or will make us suffer if they can and we join in the fellowship with jesus and we rejoice why do you think the disciples on the day of pentecost or just after when they were beaten thank god for the privilege of suffering for jesus sake because they said we understand now what he went through we understand and we want to share in that we want to share in that not just uh, we know that not our salvation is not wrapped up in our suffering it's not even inevitable but if we're believers we will get persecution i remember someone saying to me about in eastern europe how they'd been there and they preached and someone said, what, what's the suffering that you go through at home? So he said, well, we don't go through any suffering. The man looked quizzically at him from Eastern Europe in the, under the communists. He said, but Jesus said, you'll always you'll have suffering. We'll all have suffering. And of course, they were experiencing it on a day-to-day -day basis. We don't. We're in a different country. We've been very blessed. But it's likely to come. It's likely to come. But we want to be in fellowship with Jesus and his sufferings. That's what he said. I want to know you, Jesus, in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. Perhaps this year is the year. This is the year of jubilee for you. You don't have to wait 50 years. This is the year of, of jubilee. Why do I know? Because I know a woman who said, when do I want it? What do I want? The year of Jubilee. When do I want it? Now. And God brought Jubilee. Is it a year of Jubilee for that woman in her life? I would have said so. So I think this coming year, we can take the example of these two women. I've just picked out two. And say, Lord, this is what I want. I really want that faith that reaches out and receives from you. Because you said faith is a very important thing. And I want to I know that, Lord. I don't want it to be conquered in me. I, I want to be conquerable, unconquerable in faith. And we as a church want to do that. We want to go forward in those areas, in those things. But we want to do it as lovers. As people who love, who are recognised as people who love. I've had people come here and say, there's love in this place. I'm sure you've heard it. There's love in this place. I see that these people love one another. And not only love one another, love me. Because I'm getting wrapped up in the love. 
Let God do something in you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. I sing this so that we can let our hearts go. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord will give him all the glory. Will give him all the glory. Will give him all the glory. Christ the Lord. So let's, Lord, we want to let our hearts go to you because we love you. We thank you that you've loved us and you've taught us to love. Lord, we didn't know anything about it until we met you. Lord, we just thank you about that. We ask you to increase that in us. And Lord, also, we're so blessed to know that you are, you honour faith because you told us to believe you, Lord. And when we do, we, we find that you're faithful. So, Lord, we pray that you'll stir us up as a church to be full of faith, to see those things that you want to bring about in us, but to be those that love in the world here and are seen and known as lovers. Lord, just bless us. And you know our resolutions, Lord. Maybe they've never lasted more than a day. But you know our heart, and we pray that you'll give us what we need to just press through in these things. And we say to you, Lord, we love you this morning. We really love you, and we appreciate you, Lord. Hallelujah. And all the people said? Amen. Amen.